What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You don't want to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. I am staff writer Cody Goodwin, audio-only version this week, uh, just not really a good space to maybe do video for this week's podcast, but we are on the road. We're here in Los Angeles for the college football playoff national semifinals between number four Alabama and number one Michigan. They will play Monday at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. We're recording this on a Friday. I'm here with John Talty, senior writer from 247 Sports to my right, uh, fellow staff writer at Bama 247, Mike Rodak to my left. Guys, how are we doing? Good. I'm glad we're not on video so everybody can look left and right and see where we are. <laughs> I tried to set up a video, but it just, like, you know, wasn't working. I could probably set it up here now that we found a quieter place to record, but... Um, it's like when you, you get a radio guy calling a football game. You're like, he's going left to right on your, your screen. You have to picture it in your head of where people are. <laughs> well, going left to right, John... How are you? I, I don't know how to top that. I mean, we're already off to such a roaring start here, uh, but it's been it's been great. You know, I think we're we're uh, it's it's been interesting just from a transition standpoint. Like, you know, all this stuff has been early out here for us, but then you you got to kind of do the math, and it's a couple hours ahead for Central Time and all that. So trying to get the body clock uh, in order, but it's been good. I feel like we you know not to step on your toes here, Cody, but like I feel like there's already been some interesting news, interesting comments, like. It's been a good start from a what we do standpoint of there's been lots of things to write about every single day so far. Yeah, we're going to get into a lot of that. Just a quick programming note. This is the first of three shows that we've got tentatively planned uh, through the weekend to get you guys ready for the Rose Bowl. Us three are going to talk here today. Um, I got a buddy who covers Michigan for 247 Sports. Going to link up with him and chat with him tomorrow on Saturday. And then the three of us will come back again uh, sometime Sunday to kind of do an official game preview. So we're not going to talk the typical X's and O's game breakdown. We got plenty of time to look forward to the game on Monday. Um, but like John said, wanted to kind of talk about, you know, we've had a lot of media availability since we've been down here. Got to hear from both sides of the ball, both teams. 
um, these first couple of days. I figured, uh, John, since you kind of brought it up, um, teed up with you, what's maybe been the most interesting thing that you have, you know, that we've learned, I guess, these first couple of days in L.A.? I think the thing that has gotten the most probably coverage and attention uh, relates back to the Michigan sign-stealing scandal. It's been an interesting, from a journalistic standpoint, of kind of like a game of telephone where there's a lot of different comments being made they're all a little different you're trying to figure out what's real what's not I think it really kicked off on Thursday with Isaiah Bond's comments talking about how Alabama had altered its film preparation uh, for Michigan and he directly related it back to the science stealing scandal uh, you had multiple other Alabama players also talking about that today we got Michigan players talking that they said they've also stopped using their iPads for game film kind of played as like, yeah, there's some things out there that are happening and we don't want that to happen to us, uh, which you know, I think uh, invoked some interesting reaction on social media and other places. But I think it's, it's a thing that's getting a lot of discussion. We haven't heard Nick Saber and Jim Harbaugh talk about it specifically. That'll probably come tomorrow. Um, but I think it just adds another layer of intrigue of a story that I think had kind of you know burned very hot, had really quieted down. I don't think there was really that much discussion about it. And I think Isaiah Bond's comments really threw some gasoline back on it. And I think added to the kind of uh, added some interest to this game is what I would say. Yeah. For those who haven't read the story yet, first, go check out Bama 247. We've got it covered from virtually all angles. But second, um, Isaiah Bond was basically asked if he had paid attention to the Michigan sign stealing um, thing throughout the, the year. Um, you know, Big Ten SEC, he said that he really hadn't paid too much attention to it. But in the process of answering the question, he did kind of reveal that like, hey, um, we're not allowed to take our personal iPads home. They kind of have had to watch film over the last month in preparation for this game as like position groups. Like they all kind of get together in one single room and watch film. Um, so that kind of teed everybody off. And then when somebody asked to follow up, that's when he kind of elaborated that, you know, hey, it's really because of what Michigan's known for, right? And we talked to a few other Alabama players who more or less confirmed it. Um, we got to talk to Tommy Reese for the second time all season, first time since media day. He would not touch this topic at all. Um, and so it kind of sent um, really the Alabama media contingent into a frenzy to make sure that we kind of got this story all covered from all sorts of different ways. We kind of, the three of us fanned out and talked to a bunch of people about it. Mike, uh, do you have any thoughts on just kind of, one, the story, and two, just kind of the reaction to it? Yeah, I mean, players were kind of giving different versions of it. I think some of them were afraid to link it back to Michigan. Some of them, uh, Jace McClellan made it pretty clear that it had to do with Michigan. I feel like J.C. Latham did. Some other players weren't as... Um, open about it. So yeah, it became a little bit convoluted in terms of what exactly happened and why it happened. But I think maybe the overlooked part of it is, you know, there's other benefits to having players gather in one spot to watch film. Um, because this is a time of year when you've already had a few guys leave through the portal. Undoubtedly, there's more guys who are going to, I mean, just from a pure number standpoint, there's going to have to be double digit Alabama players going into the portal as soon as next week. I mean, if they lose this game, they'll go in next week. If they win the game, they'll go in the week after. And those players might already be talking to other teams. There might be money involved with those players going to other teams. And you just, to be frank, you might not trust those players, um, especially when they're trying to market themselves to other teams. We've already seen players take screenshots or videos of practice film of themselves, put it on Instagram or send it to other teams to say, here's my skills. Right. Um, here's what I can do as a player, and here's what I did in practice. And that's letting out things that I'm sure 
the coaches don't want him to be out. And so we're in that time of year where loyalties can be a little bit mixed, um, not only among coaches who are leaving, um, but also players. So I don't know if it's necessarily just a Michigan thing. Um, I think there it makes sense for teams to kind of lock things down a little bit more right now when you don't know where players are in terms of loyalty and what might get out there that you don't want to get out there. Yeah, and... Paranoid Mike over here, I like it. <laughs> well, John, you kind of alluded to this too, that like Michigan has also been, you know, they've been kind of, they've, they've, they're not using iPads personally. Like they don't have personal iPads to watch film in the same way that Alabama does. And I guess that they've been doing this since November. Um, and the way that they kind of portrayed it is that there might be something wrong with like the catapult system that these guys use. And it's used well, you know, all across college football and probably other levels of football too. The catapult system that they use to, you know, record practice film, record their actual all 22 film from games. Like there, there just might be a widespread like information sharing issue or somebody maybe hacking that. And I feel like that was loosely part of the whole Michigan deal way back when it first dropped and it kind of got swept under the rug a little bit, but it's been rumored. And I think it's, there's been scuttlebutt and smoke around uh, that accusation. I don't think it had really been formalized in the way that it was until this week, uh, but certainly, and I think the other thing, and you know, I was joking with Mike about being paranoid, but to his point, Coaches are some of the most paranoid people possible, and I understand why. And it's yeah. because there is all this kind of espionage aspect of football, it's stealing signs and trying to poach players. There's just all these different things that are happening, and it's truly like you can't really trust anybody. And so I think that's probably a lot of it. I, I mean, maybe it'll come out and it's proven that somebody was hacking into Catapult. I don't know. That feels a little far-fetched to me, but generally the idea of let's just – Button, our, button ourselves up as much as possible. If it's even possible this is happening, let's take that extra step of precaution. And so I think that's what you're seeing. Uh, but it's it's one of those things where I think, like, because we are all in this world, it's kind of – someone get used to it. But I think if you were explaining to someone who's not a football fan all this stuff, I think they would just be this is just absurd. But this is the world that – this is college football. Right. Uh, especially at the highest levels ahead of a really important game for both of these two programs. Yeah, it was, uh, didn't expect to come to LA and write about iPads, but here, <laughs> here we are. Um, Mike, what, uh, over the last couple of days, just as we were talking to people, what was kind of the most interesting thing that stuck out to you? Yeah, I mean, I didn't come to LA and expect to write about Bill O'Brien, but here we are. <laughs> um, that was the other thing that kind of came up simultaneously on um, Thursday morning where Jalen Murrow, Jalen Murrow decided that was the day where he was going to let it be known that he had beef with Bill O'Brien, um, <laughs> which I'm sure has been stewing for a while. I mean, O'Brien's been gone for almost a year now. Um, and, you know, the whole idea that he, Bill O'Brien didn't think that Jalen Murrow should play quarterback. Um, you know, and that was – it was, wasn't even a question about Bill O'Brien. It was a question that Miller was posed yesterday about some of the doubts about him being a quarterback. And Some just, might call them naysayers. Right. And Milro decided he was going to mention Bill O'Brien, and then he was asked follow-up questions and kept going. I mean, talking about how he's getting the last laugh. And, um, you know, it was pretty strong stuff from, from Jalen. And, you know, for a guy who typically is not a very uh, provocative quote, it was pretty jarring to, to hear that. Um, I also don't know if Alabama necessarily wanted that to be the case from him. Uh, the week of the Rose Bowl, I don't know if there ever is a good time for Alabama to say, hey, Jalen, like, you can let it loose. But um, I think ideally in their mind it would have been like the NFL Combine in a year for him <laughs> where he would have mentioned <laughs> that. Um, so this was the time. And, again, I think it's a little bit of a distraction that they probably don't want as 
an administration as a, as a coaching staff. But, um, I mean, Jalen was saying his piece. And, look, I think there's, a, there's certainly a, a, a nerve that, that clearly struck with him, um, with O'Brien, and um, something that his dad has talked about for years. Um, you know, even when Jalen was coming out of high school, that he was a quarterback in high school, that he was a passer, he was a pocket passer. And he kind of got labeled um, as more of an option running quarterback because that's what he did his freshman year at Alabama when he played, it wasn't much. That's basically all they did with him. Um, and that A and M game when he started for Bryce Young two years ago, that's what he did as well. He threw the ball like ten times that game. Right, and he just it was Nick Saban talking about how they had to develop him as a passer, which obviously he's done a, a good job of that, and he's become a competent quarterback. Um, but you know, there's the the stereotype of, of of black quarterbacks, which Bryce Young had mentioned himself even when when Bryce was here, that you know Bryce didn't want to run, like he got outside the pocket and was like actively thinking about I'm not going to run the football I'm going to continue to pass because if I run I'm playing into the stereotype that's something Bryce mentioned and I think Jalen has very similar um, thoughts about it where you know he's always tried to prove himself as a passer he says he doesn't work on being a runner at all in the offseason and um, you know obviously there's a much wider discussion about where football has evolved to where there are a lot of very, very good black quarterbacks in both the NFL and college who have been very successful as both passers and runners, and that stereotype has been really broken apart. Um, but it, it does also relate, and this is coming up in New England yesterday when you know, they heard about the story, was Malik Cunningham, you know, the former um, Louisville quarterback who was with the Patriots and you know, was a pretty dynamic player in the preseason under Bill O'Brien you know, after he left Alabama to go back there and never really got his shot. Uh, with the Patriots, even with all their quarterback issues this year, and um, eventually got signed by the Ravens, and there was Patriots players in that locker room publicly talking about how they thought Malik Cunningham should have gotten more of a shot to be a quarterback under Bill O'Brien, and he never got it. So, um, you know, you can draw a little bit of a line there between the two situations, and um, Bill O'Brien has not responded. We've reached out to him. Um, or to the Patriots, you know, asking for a comment, and um, he hasn't put one out there yet. So, um, again, it's not necessarily exclusive to Jalen Milrow, which is is interesting. Yeah, no, that's a very interesting tie-in to this story because, like, we, you know, I, we poke fun at naysayers, right? The whole link, um, you know, idea that they've been rolling with through the course of the season, and you know, we've heard Milrow in various interviews, or we've read him in various interviews about how, like, you know, I think it was to ESPN earlier this season people in his own building, right, didn't maybe fully believe in him and, you know, how he's always struggled. And, um, you know, we've, we, like, in conversations that I've talked, you know, either with him or people around him about how he's just struggled trying to establish himself as a throw-first quarterback. And, you know, like you mentioned, he told us that he doesn't practice running. Um, you know, it's, it, it's interesting now, I think, finally, like here at the Rose Bowl week, they put, you know, we, we have a name and a face to somebody who actually did doubt him, right? You know, because I don't know that before then he had – actually named somebody so like you know it's just kind of like you know are there doubters are you manufacturing this like that sort of thing um and so it's kind of interesting to you know know that there is like okay like he was very outspoken about this and look i'd say like the question's not necessarily gone away with Jalen Milrow it's only going to intensify next year as he becomes really in the spotlight as maybe the Heisman favorite next year um and then there's going to be more NFL draft talk because I think most people would expect him to come out in the draft next year um and I think there's all the draft type of people we're going to be talking about is Jalen Murrow, an NFL quarterback. 
or should he play a different position? Like, I don't think that question's going to go away. Um, but you can tell, like, this is how Jalen feels about it. And I think he got to a point after beating Georgia where he felt confident enough in himself to, I don't say declare himself having made it, but, like, saying I have the last laugh is implying that he's, he's accomplished something. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I, I think one of the things that I took away from it, I think one, just the evolution we've seen of Jalen Milrow from just a media standpoint, which you're kind of getting at there, is like I think, and I think Jalen's always been very likable, but if you look at him from the start of the year, I mean, very robotic. I mean, he, was, he had the script. He was sticking to the script no matter what. Again, likable kid, but wouldn't necessarily have the greatest quote. And I think... As you've seen, again, as he has maybe felt more and more secure, felt better about his standing as the starter, you've seen him get looser and looser in terms of what he's saying and willing to put out there. And it, what we see now is someone who, you know, seems to thrive off the doubt, clearly has a chip on his shoulder, clearly thinks about these things, uh, which I just think is interesting. I think, I don't know if we necessarily would have seen, we didn't see all that at the beginning of the year. It was much more about we and the team, and now you're seeing he's like, these other things, which I thought was interesting. And the second part of that, tying it back to the Isaiah Bond thing, is just I think we just generally saw a looser, less buttoned-up Alabama media appearance, especially on Thursday. I think today it was more buttoned-up, I'm sure, because of what happened on Thursday. But, like, mm-hmm. you just usually expect because of, you know, Alabama, not to go too in the weeds here, but, like, Alabama picks who talks to the media. It's usually the people who can follow the script the best. They're going to stick to the message. And between Isaiah Bond and Jill Milrow, <laughs> Those are two people who did not stick to what I'm sure the message or script was, <laughs> which is great for us, and it right. gives us something to talk about. But I, I just, I don't know. It was just interesting to see that on the first real media day of player-wise. Like, two guys give us something that, like, as we said, none of us were planning on writing about. There wasn't a game plan of us, like, let's ask Jalen Miller about that. Like, it just kind of all organically came out, and especially with Jalen. Like, he easily could have answered that question without saying Bill O'Brien's name. It was like, he had a small opening. He's like, I'm going for the kill shot here. And he did. And I mean, and Bill doesn't look good. And fans already didn't like Bill O'Brien. It just gives him another reason <laughs> right. to, to not like him. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm curious to see moving forward with Jalen. Again, I think he's a really good kid from all accounts. But I would worry a tiny bit about the I've made it already point that you were kind of getting the at Heisman there, thing after the Auburn it's just because it's like you haven't really accomplished that much yet now right. he's accomplished a lot more than you know i didn't play college football accomplished way more than i've done in the sport but just in terms of like big picture wise like there's still two big games to go right. and there's lots of individual things that could happen in the future but i don't know i just think that's something that bears watching a little bit yeah. moving forward no and it's something that jc latham brought up from a team standpoint where maybe this maybe saban used this analogy with the players but an alligator is most vulnerable after his meal after he's had his meal and he's satisfied and he's fat and happy and that's when somebody can kill him the best. Um, and again, you can maybe apply that directly to Jalen Murrow, that he's coming off the Georgia game, he feels great about himself. You have to be careful going and hit number one defense in the country too. Once it was like the full pigs or full hogs get slaughtered. You know? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of a similar mindset. And I think it's, you know, to sorry, I didn't mean to steal all the time here, but like <laughs> I think we – I feel like we talked about this maybe even after the SEC championship game where it's like they've been driven by, I think, doubt and people counting them out all season. And once you finally kind of get past that, which they now have, and I think a lot of people are picking them to win this game. Michigan's kind of leaning into the underdog thing a little bit. Like, I don't know. It's just interesting to see what what we're going to see on Monday. Just from like a 
you accomplished kind of you hit in some ways that goal how do you keep it going and how can you not be satisfied by just knocking off Georgia which clearly was a major priority for them this year yeah well and it kind of gets to the story that Mike wrote you know maybe just a couple weeks ago like you know Lank really kind of drove them all the way through the season especially after the week two loss and you know the piss poor week three showing at South Florida like you know they kind of leaned into this Lank mentality and it's like okay they got Ole Miss they got Tennessee they got LSU they you know A&M Auburn Georgia um, you know have they proven all the naysayers wrong? Um, Vegas would say no, because I think Michigan's still probably favored by, you know, two, two and a half points or something like that. But yeah, there is kind of a sentiment here that this is, I don't want to say that they were relaxed the last couple of days, Alabama's players, but like you could tell that there was like an easy confidence in the air about them. Um, you know, and I guess we'll see Monday if that impacts them or not. I, I'm of the belief that probably not. Um, but, you know, hey, I guess, you know, that's why they play the game, right? And there's some things they can still feed into, like Florida State should have made it, which I don't know how how prevalent that still is. But yeah. Or like the fact that they're the four seed, Michigan's the one. Right. It, and it goes back to Jalen Miller after the SEC championship saying, we beat the number one team, so what does that make us? But nobody's saying Alabama's number one. Like I think that was his point, but nobody believed that. So, I mean, there's probably still some things they can tap into, but... Yeah, well, Saban said, I don't know if it was a hype video or, you know, maybe it was on McAfee, but, I mean, he's I very distinctly remember hearing him say, you know, like, nobody cares about what we've done so far. we got to finish, you know, and that's, you know, right. it's they're at a one-game season effectively now. Yeah, it's uh, – I, I am interested to see how this team responds because it's a team that is not Saban-like in that they feed off of that stuff and they listen to stuff clearly. I mean, Tyler Booker – with the David Pollock thing that he thought about for like two years or I guess a year because it was the national championship game last year when he said he was sitting at home listening to Pollock with um, you know, Nick Saban on set and was still thinking about that after they won the SEC championship game and going off on Pollock. And then even yesterday, Booker was talking about Lane Kiffin after the Ole Miss game this year saying he thought this was the year that Ole Miss could beat Alabama and he said that Lane Kiffin was sadly mistaken so it's like <laughs> it's like Tyler Booker has like a bulletin board of things that has been said about Alabama and it works for him like I'm just imagining really now Billy Madison where like he just got a list of people just crossing <laughs> off right. you know and it's great like I, I enjoy that out of a player I thought Will Anderson was kind of similar uh he didn't really name specific people but like he's one of those guys that could just like make a doubter out of anybody but is this no but to your point i asked booker exactly about that i was asking about the pollock stuff and some other things yesterday and i, I asked him like how do you find the balance of what well, we've talked about a lot in the past is that for so much of nick saban teams it's about limiting external factors not paying attention to it but also clearly they're using those external factors to power the doubt like how do you find that balance of like not letting it overtake you but also still getting value from it and you know, I think it's something that they, I think he has done a pretty good job of handling it. Uh, he was telling me that he really doesn't look at social media. Now, I don't know where he's getting this stuff yeah. that he's writing down, <laughs> if it's not on he's social media. That one. Um, but it's, you know, I, I just, I don't know. It's so I always find it so fascinating how these teams kind of come up with these narratives in which they claim that they don't read anything, but yet they also see everything. <laughs> yeah, um, right. And I think, but I think it, clearly you can tell that it, it is gasoline for their fire. And I think that's been very strong for them this year. And it's again, it's like, what is the accelerant that they're going to use this week to try to keep it going? Because uh, again, I think, and you, we saw them talk about before the season started about kind of returning to the Alabama standard. And clearly for Tyler and others, like it was Georgia's the team, we need to knock them off. And they accomplished that. And that was a huge deal. And now it's, what do you 
beyond just the fact that it's a huge game, what is that narrative that you're pushing to kind of get them fired up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see, you know, after Monday's game or, you know, we still have a couple opportunities at the time that we're recording this to talk to them before the game. So maybe we'll find out a little bit more about that or maybe we all have to wait until after Monday's game, win or loss to, you know, what is that fuel, right? Um, I also, question for you both. Um, I think we know the answer to this, but I remember when Terry on um, Arnold first shared with us the Lank motto and like what it meant. And at the time, I mean, this was back in September. At the time, he said that they had not shared what Lank meant with Nick Saban. Um, I know Saban has used the word naysayer specifically a couple of times over the last month or so. Do we think he knows what it means now? He does, because he mentioned it. Okay. I think it was the radio show before the uh, SEC championship, but it was very reluctant. He wasn't sure of himself when he said, like, oh, I, you know, players have been using this link, and I think <laughs> it means let all the naysayers know, but he wasn't very sure of himself when he was saying it. So I think he does by now. I mean, it's all on his T-shirts and all that, but it took him a while. And, in fact, Terion said that Lank, between him and Jalen, really they came up with that not this past offseason, but the offseason before after they had lost to Georgia, um, and there was a lot of doubt about, you know, where is the Alabama dynasty, et cetera. That's when they came up with it. But nobody talked to Jalen Miller or Terry and Arnold because they didn't play at that point. Um, and then they had that lank mentality among themselves. Last season, they kind of fell apart. You know, they didn't prove anybody wrong. And then it kind of came up again this offseason. So it's been around for a couple of years, but it's now it's mainstream. So I'm going to navigate these waters very carefully. <laughs> but do we think Nick Saban knows what some other people think that Lank means? No. <laughs> we can leave it at that. <laughs> Certainly not. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Among the other things that I think have been interesting the last couple of days, um, I know that those were kind of the two bigger stories that we've written um, about and have talked about in various capacities. But we got to talk to the two coordinators, um, Tommy Reese, Kevin Steele, first time since the quote-unquote media day back in August. 
Um, it was kind of interesting, I thought, to hear Tommy Reese's thoughts about like you know the the, the kind of milestones for Alabama's offense. Like he thought the the A and M game was very very big, just in terms of okay, Milrow can throw the ball. They've got a lot of you know big play receivers here. They can you know I know that Milrow what sacked six times, pressured twenty five times or whatever it was in that game, but you know they were still able to throw for three hundred yards. He thought that was a big game, and then the other one LSU. Um, obviously, that was the big, you know, Milrow versus Daniels one-on-one -on -one matchup. Um, you know, Alabama ultimately won that one, forty-two to twenty-eight. But it was just kind of interesting to like hear him. You know, these are the milestones that I thought like we were making progress as an offense, and it kind of tracks with maybe what we saw and we've had discussed over the course of the season. Um, I would argue that maybe there's a couple smaller milestones in like the Ole Miss game. Um, you know, I think the, the Auburn game is obviously huge, but I think like the Kentucky matchup on the road after a pretty big game to be able to go do what they did offensively was another big one too. Um, Kevin Steele was asked among other things, if he thought that, you know, should Alabama go the distance the rest of the way this season, uh, would this be the walk-off for Nick Saban? Um, and what his reaction would be if that were true. And his one word answer was, wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, did you guys have any thoughts either on those two particular topics or anything else that maybe uh, Reese and Steele said today? Well, I'll just say broadly, and I understand, you know, why it's done the way it's done. It's been done for a really long time, the one voice thing. But it was just good to hear from them, you know. And like, I think especially, I mean, I think Tommy was interesting just from an offensive standpoint. You know, you're getting a different perspective, whereas, you know, Saban can talk about it really well, but he's more of a defensive guy. But just generally, just I just love listening to Kevin Steele. You know, he's a guy who's been around for a long time. He's got just, I don't know, the sensibilities about him. I just enjoy it. He has a little bit of the, like, I've been around enough. I can kind of just say what right, I want, which, care. yeah, which is, like, what I love. And, like, I just thought he was entertaining today. I mean, he got asked about Wayne Kiffin, accusing him of losing <laughs> his uh, play calling responsibilities, and he just says, I know Wayne, which I thought was, like, the perfect response. Like, it said it all without having to say anything right. beyond what he needed to say. And, you know, he, he was making us laugh a bit, you know, talking about, you know, what it was like after – losing to Texas and then the South Florida game. And, you know, it was like, you know, it's kind of the same as it is every day. And, and somebody was like, oh, so like, you know, there was no like ranting. He was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like there was some stern talking to like, let's not <laughs> pretend like there wasn't some, some tough moments there too. I don't know. He just has that kind of old, kind of good old Southern boy sensibility. You can see why he's such a good recruiter. Uh, and I just, I just from a selfish standpoint, wish we could talk to him more often um, because I think he's, as someone who has been around, Nick Saban so many times but also I mean he was there at the end of toward the end of the Bobby Bowden Florida State like he's just a guy who's seen a lot and to be able to tap into that knowledge I think would, would benefit all of us but uh, so it was just nice to get a little taste of that today what about you Mike I mean Tommy Reese came off like a head coach to me which is it was weird to think I was sitting there I'm like man this guy's younger than me um, <laughs> younger than all of us well Kevin Steele said he's younger than both of his kids right Tommy Reese is this he's the same age as me okay. which you know how far have I gotten in life if he's you know quarterbacking Alabama's I was offense. like, man, this guy's making $1.1 million, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, he, he's very polished, um, very smart, very football savvy, it seems like. Um, you know, would there be a head coaching job for him this year? No, I think they're all full right now. But given another year, and uh, I could see it. I mean, it, he kind of falls into that category of, like, quarterbacks who became quarterback coaches slash offensive coordinators who are viewed as – offensive minds who have now a resume of developing a quarterback. I and mean, he was talking about guys like um, Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen, like NFL guys that kind of followed the same path as younger coaches who became head coaches. And I could see him falling into that same path. So um, it could happen sooner than later. I mean, 
it's something that we talked about over the summer when I think his name came up with the Northwestern job. And then, you know, by the fourth week of September, people are like, there's no way Tommy Reese is going to be a head coach anytime soon. <laughs> this guy's going to get fired before he gets the next, you know, his next head coaching job. But um, it could happen. Um, so I was impressed with him. But, yeah, I mean, Steele, the other part of his answer on the retirement, I thought was more interesting um, when he said nobody knows uh, except for Nick Saban which is, it's not denying, it's not saying I don't see it, it's not saying I don't think it's gonna happen. He's saying, I don't know, which I think is the most truthful answer anybody could give right now. Um, because nobody knows besides Nick Saban, and I said, the only other people in the world that might know are Terry Saban and Jimmy Sexton, his agent. So, um, you know, we can speculate about it, players can speculate amongst themselves, recruits, coaches, like, I don't think anybody knows. Uh, besides Nick Saban, even if Nick Saban knows, like, is his mind made up right now as we sit here on Friday? If, if they lose this game Monday, is he going to retire? If they win and they win again a national title, is he going to retire? I don't know if his mind is made up, but it's one of those things that if it happens, it's so late in the cycle. Like, it, there's going to be such a ripple effect in terms of the portal you know, all these recruits you just signed, you know, you're going to have to hire a coach away from another school and there's going to be a uh, trickle down there. Like it would be a seismic move um, for it to happen, but that's the only way it can happen. Like, I don't think he's just going to announce it months or years. You know, he's not going to be Coach K who like walks into a given season and says, this is my last. And Yeah, does, do like a victory lap or yeah, something. Yeah, you know, like the Mariano Rivera, um, you go every stadium and they give you a gift every week. So I said this yesterday, we were talking about this, you know, just kind of casually last night, and I referenced this quote, I wanted to pull it up, which, you know, Nick Saban's, of course, you know, Belichick, and so it was a great old Bill Parcells quote where he said, if you're thinking about retirement, you're already retired. And I kind of believe that with Saban, and I believe that it's not something he would allow himself to think about ahead of time, because I think he knows once you lose the edge, you're dead. Um, and I think that's the truth of it, especially what it takes to succeed at this level. And you see guys, when they start to slow down, they're dead, you know? And what it takes to be recruiting at the highest level, knowing guys like Kirby and other sharks out there are killing you on recruiting, you know, you have to be all in or you're all out. And so I believe it's something that he would not seriously think about until after the season. Now, could there be a small part in the back of his head wondering, do I still have it? Sure, I mean, it's possible for any of us. But again, to your point, Mike, like, there's no chance he would ever do a retirement tour. And I don't think there's any chance he would do, this is going to be my last game. Like, that just right. feels so, like, the antithesis of what we know about him. Right. And it's something, too, where I've been asked this a lot. Do you think you go up on top, or would it be after a down year? And if you listen to him, like, every time Saban's been asked about it, he says, when I'm dragging the program down, or I feel like I'm dragging the program down, that's when I'll leave. And so the idea of him going out on top also seems counter to what right. he has said now. That also seems like the best way for him to go, like the most storybook John Elway type of ending for him. Um, instead of, because here's the thing, like, when are you really that bad? Like, is Alabama going to be bad anytime soon? Like, he can just keep going, keep going. You're going to make the playoff every year. Like, with the way that college football is, like, I don't think they're going to be down under Nick Saban. So, if you're waiting for him to, like, drag the program down, like, I don't think it's ever going to come. So, it's all relative. Um, yeah. 
two quick notes on on that front. Um, you know, I think that once in the last 10 years that they haven't had a recruiting class that's ranked either number one or number two. Last year, they brought in the top ranked recruiting class. This past year, at least right now, I know that there's still another signing day coming up in February, the 2024 recruiting class for Alabama, currently ranked number two in the country behind Georgia. So clearly he still has a fastball of some capacity. Um, the second thought on that was after Kevin Steele was asked, um, or at least after Kevin Steele said that, um, you know, nobody knows the answer but him, he was asked, you know, what the hell would Saban do all day? And Steele said, that's a good question. Obviously sparked some laughter there because I can't picture Nick Saban doing anything else. Uh, maybe when he finally retires, him and Miss Terry will just go travel because I know he enjoyed his trip over the summer. There's zero chance of that. <laughs> uh, he's going to have to do something and have structure. I don't see him. Uh, I think he would probably drive Miss Terry crazy if he didn't have anything to do. Um, and I think that's like, well, we all, I mean, I think a lot of people go through that once they find retirement. But I think especially... Coaches seem to struggle with it maybe more than the average person because their day is so structured. Right. And they're used to, I've been doing X, Y, Z at, from starting at 7 a.m. to 10 for 50 years, and then all of a sudden you don't have that. You're like, what do I do with my life? Yeah, major creatures of habit. And guys struggle with that. There was, I think there was an athletic story during the pandemic about, like, you know, when everything was shut down, like, these guys are just, like, basically just lunatics at home. Like, they're just, like, they're trying to get involved in everything and, like, you know, the, the wives or, you know, moms are like, listen, you got to get out of here. Like, you're like, I've got, a, I've got my own structure at home. I think that's probably what it is. Like, Miss Terry kind of runs the house. I'm sure she has her structure. She doesn't need him get involved in everything. And, you know, it'll be something fun for them to have to deal with uh, when that time comes. But, I mean, clearly, just to kind of put a bow on it, like, he's 72 years old. This topic is never going to go away until he does retire. Uh, it's going to continue to linger to some extent over anything that he does. I do think that the drumbeat is a bit louder right now than it's been in previous years. Um, but I, I think that, to your point, Mike, I think Kevin Steele gave the most honest answer you can give. Only Nick Saban really knows. And we'll keep talking about it because it's easy podcast and radio fodder. But like, <laughs> I don't think, I think there's, as you said, max three people who would ever probably know. And then I think it'll, it'll be held very tightly when that decision is made. It'll come out in a burst. And then the state of Alabama will lose its mind. <laughs> God bless. Um, last thing I think I wanted to touch on, we did get to um, go watch a practice on, what was it, Thursday. Um, it was only 15 minutes, so a lot of stretching and a lot of preliminary drills. So we really didn't get to see too much. But we got to see some of the early enrollees. We identified Julian Sayin, five-star quarterback. Um, he wearing number seven at practice. Uh, Mike, you shot some highlights of him warming up and kind of going through drills. We put that on our YouTube page. Go check it out if you haven't. We also did a separate video of just kind of, you know, the overview of them stretching and whatnot. Did we learn anything from practice other than, um, you know, USC transfer cornerback Damani Jackson was there. He ultimately committed later in the day. So that was kind of cool. Um, I, I know we, you know, we knew going in, we probably weren't going to see a ton from practice, but it was kind of cool, I guess, to be there for a minute. Yeah, I mean, it's the first time that we've been let in practice since August. Um, they had that one open practice at the beginning of August. And before that, it was a Sugar Bowl um, in the Superdome a year ago. So it's very rare that we're there. And, of course, you know, it's very – and it was this way before COVID. It was this way in the NFL when I covered it. Like, it's you have a very specific area of the field where you can stand on. They're going to make sure you don't step over that – particular yard line and you know you're not going to be there for one second beyond the uh, allotted time for you so um, yeah that's speaks to the paranoia topic that we uh, addressed off the top but I mean yeah uh, Damani Jackson was the, the big story and uh, saying you know just the first opportunity to see him but 
um, we're never going to see like actual throwing, actual plays, actual anything. So it's it's uh, it's more of an opportunity just to take attendance and see you know who's there. I did not take attendance. I don't think anybody in attendance actually took attendance there. We will Saturday just to make sure nothing's happened in terms of injuries during practice. But it, uh, I mean, it's a pretty healthy team. They've been a remarkably healthy team all year. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, to avoid any sort of major season-ending injuries the entire year is, is uh, just a stroke of good luck for them. Yeah, no, and that's I think that's part of the equation if you want to get to this point in the season and ultimately go the distance. Um, yeah, I think that's that's really all we had today. You guys got any other final thoughts before we sign off here? Nope. That's all I got. This is, uh, again, we recorded this on Friday, audio only. Um, sorry, Mom. So later today, I believe, on Friday, we got the Beef Bowl coming up, so we'll see which Alabama player can eat the most steak in a single sitting, um, if you guys are into that kind of thing. Saturday. Want an early tip for betting-wise, Tyler Booker got asked about it. He said put your money on J.C. Latham and Caden Proctor. That so, makes a lot of sense because the Kaden two – Caden Proctor throws down some, some beef. The two tackles who close in on 370, I think, after a full feed, probably makes sense that those guys would be the front runners. Um, so, yeah, I got the Beef Bowl coming up uh, later today for Alabama. Saturday we get uh, another media day where I think we get to talk to everybody, or everybody is at least made available, so we're going to get to talk to everybody, but we'll have the opportunity to. Sunday we'll get to hear from Saban and Harbaugh one final time, um, and then Monday is obviously uh, the game at the granddaddy of them all at the Rose Bowl. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of the tentative schedule that we've got coming uh, the rest of their, our time here in Los Angeles. In the meantime, be sure to rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcast. Podcast, Apple Stitcher, Spotify, even our Bama 247 YouTube page, except for this one and maybe future ones. I'll see if I can figure out a video component to go with these podcasts over the next couple of days. Um, subscribe to Bama 247 and 247 Sports. Believe we are still running a 60% off uh, VIP special. I feel like we're always running some sort of special, but that 60% off comes out to about $43 for the entire year. Um, you can get uh, Brett's expert recruiting analysis. You can get all the coverage upcoming from the Rose Bowl, transfer portal stuff, spring practices, is going to be here before we know it all of that good stuff it's a steal of the year and a great belated christmas present if you guys are still looking for something for the alabama fan in your life um, thank you john and mike for joining me today we'll be back on sunday to break down the game until then uh, we appreciate you guys listening and we will talk to you all again soon